I was fortunate enough to have two parents that sacrificed a lot for me to, you know, go to practice and go to private school. Uh, but not everyone's so fortunate. So how can I use my time and my my leverage, so to say, to provide an opportunity for others that may not be so fortunate? Hi, welcome to the Halftime Snacks. My name is Ronena Inbinde. This show features the stories of talented people working in sports. Are you ready? Let's go. Today's episode features an absolutely electric human being. Today, I'm snacking with a professional soccer player, a founder, and a member of the Forbes 30 Under 30 list. He's a first-generation immigrant from Nigeria who's been a professional soccer player since 2010 when he was drafted after his freshman year at UCLA. He's the founder of A Frugal Athlete, a company that helps professional and amateur athletes to make better financial decisions. He also launched a wonderful foundation, OKUGO OK Foundation. They help children from low-income backgrounds to find their talents and passions to build a better future for themselves, their families, and their communities. It is an honor and a pleasure to host him in the Halftime Snacks. Ladies and gentlemen, the electric Amobi Okugo. <laughs> oh my, man, that probably is the top two intros i've ever received in top life two, top two, top what, two. what's the number one uh probably when i first you know made it pro and they announced my name you know oh, that was nice. that was amazing you have a career in commentating for sure uh nice that's amazing and moby so welcome to the halftime snacks i hope that this halftime snack will be better than the super bowls because man i hated that show uh, <laughs> i understand that's the popular opinion so i hope this one's better i'm sure this one's gonna be better uh, but thank you so much for joining the, the Halftime Snacks, Moby. Thank you for your time. And I want to start by asking you about a little bit about your story and your background. I understand you're a first-generation immigrant from Nigeria. So your parents are from Nigeria. You were born and raised in California. And I'm very intrigued about that. I'm very curious about Nigerian culture. I personally don't know it. So I would love to hear about some characteristics about the Nigerian culture that you carry throughout your life and your personality. Tell us about yeah. it. No, yeah. So I was uh, first generation Nigerian American. So both my parents moved to the States and, uh, you know, had me and my siblings, you know, for me being of Nigerian descent is everything. You know, we have strong family values. So we, we're, we're big on family. You know, we have family gatherings, family parties. Um, everything is within a unit. So it's not individualistic. Um, we do things for family. So we have strong family values. Uh, we definitely, you know, have a strong culture, um, whether it's, you know, the food, you know, the customs, you know, different things that we try to keep, you know, from a cultural standpoint. And then being Nigerian, you know, especially in the States, I think um, a lot of people recognize us for our hard work and, you know, how we value education. So I've hopefully, you know, tried to do a good job of carrying that into my career and my life you know, some of the qualities that Nigerians, you know, have. That's awesome, Amobi. You know, I'm a big Chelsea fan. And so oh, I yeah. know John Obi-Miko. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're also a Chelsea fan? Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. So we can, still, we can still have this, the halftime snack conversation. We don't need to hang up. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, 
But I, so, so I'm a big fan of John Obi Mikkel. I actually saw him uh, live one time. It was amazing. He's a great player. And I'm sure that since you're also a Chelsea fan, you also admire John Obi. Do you, do you have any other players or some other personalities from Nigeria which you admire or you look up to? Yeah, so growing up, you know, I looked up to uh, Kanu, Sunday Elise, uh, JJ Okocha, obviously. Uh, so those are like the three guys I really liked, especially Sunday Elise because he plays center mid. Um, if you guys remember his goal for Spain in 98, uh, what a, a golazo. Um, and then obviously in the new generation, John Oma Mikel was one of the guys that we definitely followed um, just for all the things that he's done with his career and, you know, just being a good example as a professional athlete and a Nigerian ambassador. Man, I'm very curious, since you are a professional soccer player, I'm very curious what, what goes in the mind of a professional soccer player, especially when they're, when, you know, they're growing and they're realizing that they have this talent in specific sport. In your case, it's in soccer. So how do you actually realize that You know, something's going on here. You, you know, you're a kid, you're playing against other kids and you're dominating the game or you get called by new coaches every time. Or how, how, how exactly does it work when you realize that you have this talent and that you're about to become pro or that this is going to be your life? Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, when I first started playing soccer at, at the youth stage, it was more just to stay active, build relationships and, you know, stay out of trouble. Um, and then You know, as I showcased myself and I started playing at a higher level, people were reaching out to my parents about, you know, your son's probably going to go pro. And my parents were just like, they're just going to use sports to get an education, you know, hopefully get a scholarship. And then as I kept climbing up the ranks, it was getting more and more like real. Okay, this is a possibility. This is going to possibly happen. But you always like hold off like it's not going to happen yet. It's not going to happen yet. And then, bam, it happens. So everything kind of happens so fast. And uh, luckily, because of my experience at the youth level playing, you know, at a high level playing for youth national teams, you know, I was a little bit prepared for, you know, what was to come next. That's awesome. Would you be willing or would you be able to play for the Nigerian national team or is, is not does not apply on you? So for me, if I was wanted to play for the Nigerian national team, I would have I would have had to follow a one time switch because I play for the youth national teams for USA mm -hmm. um, all the way from U14 to U, uh, U23 with the Olympic squad. And then if I were to hopefully pursue uh, the Nigerian Federation um, and in the past, early on in my career, there was a possibility I would have had to follow a one time switch. Uh, nothing ever came of it. So um, I'm still eligible for the U.S. national team even though that's probably a, a, a far cry from a possibility, there's still a possibility. You never know. Man, I trust, I trust in your talent. I trust in your <laughs> skills and in your personality. So I hope you get there. And one day we'll see you on Mexican national TV playing in the world cup. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure about that, but you never know. Crazier <laughs> things have happened. <laughs> you never know, my man. I want to switch over now to talk about, your foundation because I found it super fascinating and incredible things that you're doing with it. So I, I just like to ask you specifically the story behind OK Hugo. How did it started? How you realized there's this need or this pain and how come you chose to focus on that pain? Tell us about it. Yeah. So for me, it was basically a playoff. My last name, my last name's Okugo. And if you You break it down. Okay, you go. So I always wanted to do something with that. And um, as a as an athlete, as a player, you know, for the various teams that I played on, I was always, you know, doing some volunteer work within the community. But I always wanted to do more. 
developer. So with that came the foundation and uh, just started OKU Go Foundation and trying to provide resources for children um, that aren't always um, getting these resources. You know, I was fortunate enough to have two parents that sacrificed a lot for me to, you know, go to practice and go to uh, private school, uh, but not everyone's so fortunate. So how can I use my time and my my leverage, so, so to say, to, you know, provide an opportunity for others that may not be so fortunate? I guess that not all the professional athletes leverage their platforms to support communities, to support society. Why would you say that this is the case? Why are not all the athletes really involved the way you are? Why, what do you think there's there to solve in the professional sports between athletes? What, what do you think? Is there a mindset shift? Is there a focus? Because I also wonder that maybe most of the athletes are very busy training and preparing themselves and you know, focusing on their, on their game. And they, don't, they say they don't really have time, but then, then comes you, then comes a Moby who does have the time to support communities and create a foundation. And we're going to talk a lot about your company as well, but you're, you're multitask. So why do you think this is not the case for all, if not most of the athletes in, in professional sports? I would say it's just a mindset shift. You know, a lot of athletes, you know, when they're first coming into the league, they, you know, they want to focus solely on soccer. Um, they want to be able to perform. And I think that's that's very important, you know, as an athlete, in order to stay an athlete, you have to make sure you're performing. You know, other guys, you know, they have families to take care of, so they don't really have the time or the wherewithal. Um, but I think in most cases, when it comes to athletes not trying to leverage, you know, their platform for the community or for themselves, it's simply because they don't think of themselves outside of, an athlete. And as an athlete, you're actually a business person. How you perform in the field affects you, how you, you know, you carry yourself off the field affects you, how you, you know, recover, how you eat, all these things affect you. And like, just like any business, all these moving parts play a role to your performance and your ability to succeed. Um, I think, I think it has to happen on its own. You can't force an athlete to think like that. But luckily, we're seeing more and more athletes, you know, use their platform, use their leverage, use their performance to, you know, figure out ways to, you know, make changes. Yeah, I think that's one of the fascinating things of the last probably four years after after we saw Colin Kaepernick, who stood for what he believed in the NFL, you know, even if even if, if it was against kind of like the rules. I feel like after him, we start to see more athletes kind of take a stand for what they believe, participating more in, in foundations and being more active in society. And I think that that's great. And I respect a lot of what you're doing in Moby. I think it's fantastic. And I also want to understand, how do you make it with being a professional player, having a foundation and also running a frugal athlete? I mean, it's crazy. How do you have the time, man? Uh, I don't, you know, so I, to be honest, I do not have the time. I wish there was more hours in a day. But uh, for me, my Google Calendar is a, a, a lifesaver. Calendly um, is a software I use to make sure I'm scheduling and then time blocking. So I'm not trying to do everything on one day. So, for example, um, every Friday or every other Friday is when we do our, you know, foundation work. You know, we do mentorship to kids in at-risk uh, programs. We'll do clinics and stuff like that. Uh, for a frugal athlete, you know, we, we, strategic, we strategically plan our days ahead. And then obviously soccer is an everyday thing, but, you know, I'm not doing any, everything at once. It's more time blocking and, uh, you know, giving priority to certain things with a certain task. I can already see that you have 
perfect time management skills and uh, uh, try and try. <laughs> um, I, I want to switch over now to talk about the frugal athlete, the, the platform, the company that you have and that you support uh, athletes uh, by basically teaching them how to manage their money, manage their finances. I want to know if there are any specific and unique activities that you guys do one or two activities that you guys do that you think that they're important when it comes to educating athletes in their financials and in their management of their monies. Yeah. So with the frugal athlete, our mission is to help athletes make, manage and multiply their money through financial education and athlete empowerment. So like two offerings that we provide, you know, outside of the courses that we, you know, sell, uh, we do financial coaching. So we're not advising athletes. I just want to make that clear, but we're helping them change their behavior around finances. So we can help them with, you know, budget templates, you know, saving trackers, figuring out which app is best to use in terms of, you know, managing their money. If they want to, you know, cut some subscriptions or, you know, create like an investment strategy, things like that. And then revenue generation. So obviously you make money as an athlete, but what does it look like to make money using your status as an athlete? So what does it look like to create like an affiliate marketing campaign? What does it look like to create a pitch deck? So you're now reaching out to brands and they're like more willing to sponsor you. What does it look like to create a podcast or a YouTube channel? All these different avenues that athletes aren't taking advantage of um, that we um, helpfully help athletes provide. That's really fantastic because I guess that you, you realize that most of the athletes don't understand how money works or how, how to manage their finances. And also, as you mentioned, their platforms to leverage their popularity and their exposure given by the sports where they where they play. So I guess it's a it's an awesome point of opportunity that you saw and that you are working to fill the gap between the lack of knowledge these athletes have. And I, I wonder I wonder how does the standardization work in a frugal athlete in terms of the levels between someone who knows nothing about money and someone who maybe invests already and knows uh, more about assets and other type of advanced uh, investment strategies. Uh, so I, I, I want to know how do you assess each level or how do you manage this idea that not everyone might have the same idea surrounding money? No, that's a great question. That's a great point. I think for me, it's all about, you know, trying to figure out who we talk to on an individual basis. So my conversation would say, um, and this is all hypothetical, uh, LeBron, LeBron James, he's not going to talk to me in terms of, you know, figuring out his finances. He's at a different level. Um, but a rookie that just getting into the league that may not know about the money, that's where we can come in and help them, you know, from a conversational standpoint and figure out things that they may need in terms of answers. And we're, we're there to provide solutions. So it's kind of all ties into like the athlete, what they're looking for, different things, you know, whether it's a big time athlete or athlete on the uh, lower end, it's all about that specific athlete and um, going from there, you know, it's really important to stay in your lane, you know, as an athlete, you know, so I can't compete with, you know, some guys on my team and some guys can't compete with me on, on, on my team as well, but understanding what strategy works for you and then sticking to it. Um, at the end of the day, you're going to win your own race. LeBron James, if you're listening to this, man, you need to get a Moby to manage your finances. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we don't, we don't manage finances, but we do help them 
manage their own decisions. But, you know, I, I did do an internship with Uninterrupted and that's LeBron James's com- company. And it was a great time. I was able to learn a lot. And, you know, we're, we're connected in more ways than one, just not on an official basis yet. That's amazing, uh, Moby. Um, I want to ask you now, since you, you've seen and you've worked with so many athletes and you've understood kind of like the need points or the pain points when it comes to managing money and the psychology behind it. So I want to know if there's any myths or if are there any kind of misconceptions that athletes and people realize or have about money that you've seen and you find fascinating because you don't really understand why they believe in it or why they think that way. So are there any ideas, myths, misconceptions that you can tell us about? Yeah, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that athletes are the only ones with money problems. And that's that's not the case. We're just on the spotlight um, because everyone could see us on a day to day basis. And, you know, our stories are the ones that will get more clicks. But there's lawyers, doctors, engineers, teachers, you know, everyone has money problems in the sense of not understanding financial terminology and going from there. So I think that's one big misconception that, you know, athletes are the only ones that are making, you know, unfortunate financial decisions. Um, Another one is that not, I don't want to say not everyone needs a financial advisor, but there's different levels to having a financial advisor. So if you're like coming in, it's really important to understand the financial basics first. If you're a basketball player, You're not going to go out and start shooting threes. You have to master the layups and the free throws and the mid-range first, and then you shoot the threes. If you're a, you know, a quarterback, you're not just throwing Hail Marys. You know, you're working on getting first downs and you know, running the ball, you know, little, little things like that. Then you can shoot for the, you know, shoot for the stars. So I think you know, one of the biggest misconceptions is that making money the, the boring way is, is not attainable. But if you think long-term and have a strategy, you know, compound interest, you know, proper saving, proper investing, um, you can actually be very successful. So um, those are two conceptions that I just wanted to point out. And I think a lot of people just put it by the wayside. And those are great misconceptions. I agree with you a hundred percent. And I would add a, a, another one. And I would say that another misconception about money is that people don't really understand risk and luck. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. Risk and luck go hand in hand. You know, I read this book that tells the story about uh, Bill Gates that, you know, Bill Gates actually went to this, one of the only high schools in the country that had the newest computer. It was one of the only high schools. So he spent a lot of time interacting with the computer, understanding the computer. He and he had another partner. I don't remember his name. Um, and so in a sense, he was lucky because he was at this at the exact point in time and at, at the exact location to be able to acquire this knowledge to then translate it into Microsoft. And, you know, alternatively, there's the story of this other guy who was also his friend and He was also going to be going to be a founder of Microsoft, but then he died in, a, in an accident a few days before the first round or something. So I guess that that's the risk that people don't really understand. And this, the luck side about money, We, we're talking now about building a company, right? But I think yeah. it also applies that in, in finance and the way people should understand that if there's a financial crisis or if there's you know luck involved, with an investment, you know, you bought Bitcoin before, right before Tesla said that they're going to invest. 
1.5 billion. So you were lucky, right? Because you didn't mm -hmm. have this information. So I guess that the misconception is that we need to understand risk and luck as equals, and we need to understand them more because they're present in most of the outcomes that happen. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think some of it, you know, has to go into like with timing and stuff like that. You know, you can't time the market, but, you know, if you are smart about your finances and, you know, you invest properly, you give yourself a better chance of getting lucky. So the person that, you know, was smart or proactive in investing in Bitcoin, um, they give themselves a better chance to be lucky while at the same time, you know, that it could have went the other way. So like you said, it's, it's there's risk management to every investment that you make. Um, and it's just gotta, you have to gauge how much you're willing to risk. So depending on, you know, some people bet their whole life savings into Bitcoin or a certain stock or a certain fund. Um, some people made out and, you know, did well, some people lost and that's up to their risk management. You know, I'm not that risk averse. I'm more risk averse. I like to be conservative in the sense of how I allocate my investments, but some people are more, they're more aggressive. And they're willing to like take their bets and maybe get lucky or maybe, you know, be in the market long enough to time it right. Um, but it's all up to that individual person. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Moby. I love that answer. And I appreciate you sharing with us a couple of the misconceptions that you see around money. And since we're running out of time, I want to ask you a more personal question. And that is because... I know you're uh, an incredible person, incredible human being. You've done so much for society, communities, uh, the foundation. Your company is also uh, has an amazing purpose that is to empower and help athletes. And I mean, you you're an all around person. I'm sure that's the reason that's that you were included in the 30 under 30 list of Forbes, which is also great. So. I want to know if there's any message that you could share with the listeners and of course the world, just to put it in a, in a question, if you had, if you had a billboard, which would be seen by millions of people every, every single day, probably in the most popular Avenue anywhere in the world that you you'd like. So what would your message be? What, what do you want people to know and why? Yeah, that's a great. And I would say, um, The quote or like saying or phrase that I'll leave people with is um, all you can do is all you can do and all you can do is enough. So a lot of times people, you know, will half heartedly go into something because they're kind of scared of the results. Some people will wait till the perfect moment. Some people, you know, will not stay disciplined because they're worried about what other people think. Um, if you have an idea, if you have like an inclination of something that may work, give it your all. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But more often than not, it will work out. And it may not work out the way you want it, but it will lead you to something else that will eventually work out. So like, that's kind of the approach I've been taking, you know, as I've, you know, gone on in my journey. It's like, if I have an idea, I find a way to get it done. If it doesn't work out, it's led, it's led me to the next project. Uh, but more often than not, it works out. And because I'm able to take you know, the lessons away from it, you know, the ROI is always positive, whether you make money from it or not. And I think um, that mindset has helped me. And it's uh, allowed me to do a lot of really cool things. And it's allowed me to, you know, learn from a lot of, you know, different things as well, you know, not everything's a win, but not everything's a loss, you know, more of a lesson. So all you can do is all you can do. And all you can do is enough. And I think if people have that mindset, 
a lot of positivity will come from it. What a legend, man. What a legend. Amobi, uh, thank you so much for coming to the Halftime Snacks. You're such an inspiration. Thank you so much for devoting a piece of your attention and your knowledge and your insights to me and to my listeners. And yeah, man, I hope that Frugal Athletes continues to grow and your foundation continues to grow. Of course, your development as an athlete. I hope you one day you make it to the World Cup. We can see you next <laughs> national you. TV. Thank you so much for coming. Before you leave, I want to thank you for listening. To hear this or any other halftime snack, check out the full archive on my website, which you can find on the show notes. See you next week.